working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey, everybody. This is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Drummer Russ Whitman is my guest today. For the past six years, he has been the powerhouse drummer behind country singer and Grand Old Opry member Craig Morgan. Before Russ moved to Nashville to work with Craig, he was proving himself as a solid drummer in South Carolina, whether it was as a member of a highly respectable Journey tribute band or working with a variety of artists in the Carolina beach music scene. At an early age, Russ discovered a passion for drum corps and was heavily involved in a variety of DCI groups including Carolina Crown and Carolina Gold. This experience with DCI has been a benefit to his drum set playing as well as his teaching. As always, you can go to workingdrummer.net to find out about this podcast and other podcasts we've done. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can leave a comment and subscribe to this podcast by going to iTunes. Your comments and ratings and reviews really help us grow. So in Nashville, there are two great drum companies, Mapex and Sonar, distributed through a company called KHS America. And I recently approached them about the possibility of supporting our podcast, and they said, you know what, come to our office and check out and play this new entry-ish level Mapex kit that we are running a holiday promotion on. Uh, okay. So the idea uh, was more or less, if you dig the kit, talk about it. If not, we'll think of something else. They wanted me to have a real experience. And uh, so, yeah, I played it. It sounded great. Uh, Now, it's been a while since my first kit, but I have to say I lucked out and got a great kit for the money. And it got me through college and into my professional playing years. I think those kinds of well-made entry and mid-level kits are hard to find these days, but this Mapex kit is a killer-sounding and great-looking kit. It's called the Mapex Storm, and the kit I played was 1-up, 2-down, 12, 14, 16, 18-by-22 kick, and a matching snare, Planet Z, Zildjian cymbals, Crash, Ride Hi-Hat, and of course, all the hardware needed for that setup. I have to be honest, the kick pedal design was not my cup of tea, as it was a heelless plate. But it also tells me that Mapex is not afraid to think outside the box. The street price, as they call it, for all those drums, with hardware and cymbals, for this promotion is $7.99. Mapexdrums.com is where you can go check out the Storm Series and find your nearest Mapex dealer. And I realize that there are those of you listening right now who have moved beyond this level, but if you know a student, a church, or anyone looking for a complete, great-sounding kit, uh, the Storm Series by Mapex just might be the answer. So here you go. Here is Russ Whitman. I'll do my drumline thing because we're, we're, we're going to do the drumline at every drummer jam now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, I'll actually start working on music for that soon, trying to figure out who's going to play in the drumline for that night for the, the Steve Smith one that's coming up. Yeah. I don't know if that's public knowledge yet, but it is. Yeah, I think Smith. it is. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Um, so I'll do that. You know, if they want me to play a tune, it's funny because one of the gigs I played before I was with Craig Mm-hmm. Was a Journey tribute band, Frontiers, out of uh, Roanoke, Virginia. Yeah, and uh, the singer in that band actually had ties to the real band because he was going to be the new singer for Journey. Holy Journey God. actually flew him out to San Francisco. He rehearsed with them for a month, wrote two of the songs that's on the Revelations album, and when it was time to go on tour, he couldn't do it because his wife was pregnant, and they were going to stay out for over a year. 
So he literally turned that gig down. The only reason RNL is in Journey is because Jeremy said no and left because he couldn't get along with Neil Sean. Bottom line. Wow. Yeah. Jeremy, what was Jeremy's? Hunsicker. Jeremy, Jeremy Hunsicker. Jeremy Hunsicker. And he just quit. He got a bunch of money and royalties off that Revelations album because it shipped platinum. Yeah, yeah. It was a double album. Walmart pre-ordered 500,000 copies of it. So his first royalty check was for a platinum album. Oh, my god! So he made a lot of money off that first check. Of course, like everybody else, he blew through it like crazy. <laughs> he started a Journey tribute, man. He said, hey, I can still do Journey. I'm just going to do it on my own terms, you know? So they were. So I'm going to uh, do a Journey tribute band and see how much money I can lose in a short amount. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it was good for a while. I'm not going to lie. He hired me, and it's funny how I got the gig with that band. They were playing in Myrtle Beach in my hometown at a place called the Beach Wagon. And um, I went to go see them because there was all this story about this guy was, you know, had ties to the real band or whatnot. So me and some buddies were like, let's go check them out, man. We were all big Journey fans, you know. Okay. And uh, so we got in there, and me and a couple buddies of mine that play at the Carolina Opry, which is this theater in Myrtle Beach, Okay, we were hanging out, and I knew the owner of the club. And uh, <laughs> we were commenced to pounding whatever you know <laughs> liquor device we decided to ram down our throats that night. And uh, just hanging out, watching the show, the guys came out and played three or four songs, and they just stopped playing and walked off stage. And and we're thinking we're like, well, what's what the, what the you know what's yeah, going on? Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. gonna try to keep this PG. By the way, I'm, you, you, you I've don't got have a dirty to. mouth. <laughs> you don't. Hey, you don't. You have mean to. I don't have to put a filter on my mouth? I'm no, warning you, you man. <laughs> no, it, it, all these have uh, warnings on them. Okay, all right, cool. Get this coffee down my throat and try not to cuss too much. But anyway, so we're we're like, what the hell's going on? Why do they quit playing? Do they sound good. They they were they were good. I'm not gonna lie. The guys in the band were spot on. They weren't their typical tribute band as trying to look like them. Like Jeremy wasn't out there wearing tails and a wig, you know, trying to look like mm -hmm. Steve Perry from the '81 tour, right? Marching you know, around. They just sounded really good. Yeah. So we were we we're enjoying it, you know. And uh, the next thing I know, the owner of the club is tapping me on my shoulder from behind the bar because I have my back to the bar. He goes, hey, Russ, he goes, do you know these songs? I'm like, I know some of them. I mean, some of the stuff, they're playing deep cuts that I don't know. Yeah. He goes, well, the singer's coming out to get you. Could you go in the green room with him? <laughs> And I guess the, I was the only drummer in there that they knew. And yeah. what basically what happened is the that day, this is you can't make this shit up, I'm telling you. That day, that band, when they got into town after load-in, they went to a Calabash seafood buffet. Uh-oh. All right? Yeah. They all ate the buffet except the drummer. He ordered off the menu. Oh. He got food poisoning. Oh, no. He started throwing up in the green room. Could not. I mean, he was, he was deathly sick. Oh. So they sent him back to the hotel room. Yeah. Uh, the singer come out and got me. He said, are you Russ? I was like, yeah, yeah. Nice to meet you. Sound great, by the way, you know? Yeah. He goes, could you come in the green room with me real quick? So I went back there, and the whole band sit there. They're all just looking at me, and I'm like, what in the hell's going on? You know? <laughs> They're like, so our buddy, the club owner, said that you know you're you're a drummer, and you might be able to help us out tonight. Right. Basically, our drummer's sick. We've already sent him back to the hotel room. Could you fill in and maybe get to these songs? Now, mind you, at the time, I'm about half lit. Yeah. You know, I had drank a lot already. 
And but you didn't I was, have food, I'm looking yeah. at their set list. I'm like, well, I know this one. I know this one. I know this one. I know this one. I said, I don't even, I've never even heard this song. Yeah. And uh, he was like, oh, you'll be fine. It's just four on the floor. <laughs> oh, and by the way, all the background vocals are tracked. You have to hit the space bar to start every song. It's four clicks for you, four for the band we're in. Wow. So not only did I have to get through the songs, I had to play them pretty close to the album. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the vocals would come in right. So yeah. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a total train wreck. I'm about lit, you know. But anyway, I got up there. The second song, the first song was Separate Ways. I'm yeah. like, okay, I know this one. Yeah. So, of course, the band is like, they don't know me from Adam. Yeah. And they're just looking at me like, oh, my God, what are we doing? <laughs> but the place was sold out. They didn't have no choice. There was yeah. 1,600 people in there. Oh, wow. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Like, is it- um, so, lo and behold, 45 minutes later, I'd made it through with no train wrecks. You know, I didn't think nothing about it. I'm like, cool. They, they all th- thanked me, shake my hand at the end of the night. And whatever, the singer or the lead guitar player, Kenny C., buddy of mine from Roanoke, buddy now, I didn't know him at the time. Uh, he said, hey, man, let me get your number, man. Just in case you know everything, anything. You say no train wrecks, but I mean, how do you feel it went? I mean, do you feel like, like. Uh, honestly, the drummer that was playing before me was playing the parts close. Yeah. And not to say that I was playing them perfect, because I wasn't. But he he didn't have, he was, oh, God, how do I say this? I sound like a cocky asshole. He, his tuning was awful on his mm. drums mm. so when I got up there to start I tuned that whole kit before I even touched it because I even out front but when I heard them playing the songs they were playing I was like man that kit sounds awful mm. so I tuned the stuff up um, and he didn't hit really hard yeah to where you know I hit like a freight train mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to break the guy's stuff you know I did yeah. crack one of his cymbals but that's what you get when you're using 16 inch crash cymbals Sorry, I apologize. Those my hi hats are bigger than that, dude. You know what I mean? It's like, and I was like, so when we hit the first note of separate ways, the guys in the band literally turned around and looked at me and were like, "Okay, yeah, here we go." Yeah. And you could see the crowd like they had their back to the stage when it came out, and everybody turned around. And of course, it's my hometown, so I knew a lot of people in there. Yeah. So, of course, everybody was like, why in the hell is Russ up there playing with these guys right now? Because nobody in the crowd knew what was going on. Yeah. You know, so, but I honestly think it went, it went good, you know. Yeah. I'm not going to say it was flawless because it was not, yeah. you know. But um, so, anyway, the, the, my buddy that owned the club paid my tab that night, which was really high for me <laughs> saving their asses, you know. And uh, the next day, I was sitting at home and... Um, my phone rang and it was a number I didn't recognize and I answered it and it was the singer and the lead guitar player from that band. They were mm-hmm. like, dude, you really did great last night when no rehearsal got us through the show. We liked the way you hit the drums, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. How would you like the gig full time? Mm. So they fired the other guy. Yeah. And I felt terrible. I was like, man, what are you on? It's your drummer, man. He's like, he just, we used him to put this out on the road. It would only, it was only like their fourth show. Okay. And they weren't sold on him anyway, evidently. But mm-hmm. anyway, they let that guy go. And they I met them in Raleigh, North Carolina on the road like the next weekend. And then they gave me the set list and I went home and really yeah. practiced the stuff. So it was fun for a while. And the money was good. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then things started. And we were we were doing like House of Blues. Some of the bigger clubs, Club La Vila, 
the bigger mm-hmm. clubs, and we were playing eight to ten gigs a month. I always wonder about that. I always wonder about tribute bands like that. Frontiers was one of the top tribute bands in the country for a couple of years. I mean, you had 1964, which was the Beatles tribute, which is the highest paid tribute band in the world. Those guys gross a million dollars a year doing a tribute. Wow, band. wow. Yeah. Well, and, and the Beatles tribute band is a completely, almost a different entity in it its is. own. And there it are is. there. I've talked to some players that work in multiple Beatle tribute bands and sometimes oh, yeah. they they share like hey I'm a John I'm available I have all the costumes and so they'll go work with this Beatle tribute band yeah. in Vegas and then they'll come to New York and play with a different you know they all have the same uniforms they all have the same costumes and know the same material it's really I always wonder how cool it would be to be in a tribute band or would it just be hell to play those same songs That's over where and I over ran again? into it toward the end when the money we were we were literally selling out every place we played because Jeremy had this tie to the real bands. I think it was more curiosity than anything. People were coming out to say, Okay, let's see if this guy's got the pipes. That that And that, he did. Yeah. Not yeah. only did he sound he had the rass, he sounded just like Perry. He even looked like him in the face, which was really weird. When the first time I saw him, I was like, hey, this dude even kind of looked. He didn't have the long hair and the yeah, sure. stuff like that. But like the facial features were there, and the voice like blew me away how close So what's was. he doing now? Is it, are they still? After I left the band, um, he kept it going for another two years, I think. Okay. Um, and some other friends of mine had come in and out of that band playing. Mm-hmm. and But since then, from I haven't talked to Jeremy in a long time. Um, I see stuff on Facebook. We, you know, might send a message to each other every now and then. There was no bad blood or any or anything like that. I just couldn't do it anymore. Sure, you know. And uh, so I think the last time that I had heard, he had literally lost his voice Ugh. doing that stuff that many gigs a year. He sh- he blew his voice out just like Perry, just o. Like- Jerry, all the other ones just destroyed their voice. Arnell now the bands I have stepped down already. Oh, oh, the the real band. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Arnell ain't singing that stuff in the right key. Oh. He's already losing his voice. You cannot sing that stuff every night. I don't know how Jeremy did it as long as he did because he smoked, he drank, oh. he didn't take care of his voice at all. I don't know how he could go on stage and hit those songs. Yeah, and hit. And we were doing stuff like had some super high notes in it. It always floored me at first when I was playing in the band because I'm sitting here, you know, playing the songs, and it was almost like playing with the real band you know his voice was so spot on the mm-hmm. guys in the band were so good kenny isaiah greg the guys that i was touring with and uh so it was a lot of fun but about a, about a year into it i'd had enough man i mm. i was like man I, it was fun but i didn't want to be that guy you know i was like man i don't want to try to pretend to be somebody else every night yeah, yeah. living off somebody else's stuff yeah and fame Mm-hmm. You know, it just became a thing where I was just like, I'd had about enough of it, to be honest with you. And this other gig came along. That was a local gig for me. Okay. Um, it was more around my area. On so what was that? What was that? That was, a, <laughs> that was what they consider East Coast beach music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I had beach never... Mu- chairman of the board, the Embers, all those big bands that were... The movie Shag uh-huh. that was came out in the 80s was all about Myrtle Beach area, East Coast, shagging. It's a, it's a type of dancing. If you're not from that area, <laughs> I can't even begin to explain it to you. It's right. it's something on the, in the southeast, right. on the coast. It's Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. Mostly South Carolina is where it all started. Yeah. North Carolina... 
Georgia, some Florida, some Virginia, Maryland. But you get out of those areas, nobody even knows what that stuff is. I had never but heard of it. those bands on yeah. that circuit are huge in that area. Right. They've got Prevos, 18-wheelers, yeah. full production. I mean, the stuff's big. And the guy that came to me, he he came to me and he said, listen, what are you? I want you to play with my band. And uh, what are you making now? And I told him, he goes, oh, I can beat that big time. Oh, wow. I said, what are we talking? And he told me the number. I was be stupid to pass it up. Yeah. You know, so I, I put my notice in with Frontiers and went straight to work with him. And what was and, that, what was that group? Uh, Craig Woolard. He was the lead singer of the Embers, um, and uh, which was one of the biggest beach music bands there ever was. And um, now, see, I had never heard of that exactly. until nobody, from, unless you're from that area, knows what that stuff is, right? I, and, uh, I had a chance to talk to Lee Kelly, and he mm-hmm. brought it up. And Lee's from the area, gave he knows me the all whole about that stuff. He yeah. grew up on it, and gave yeah. me the whole rundown on it. And then Zach, uh, my co host, moved to Atlanta in January, and he's been working a ton. And uh, he's been working with some local musicians, and they'll say, Hey, we're gonna do some beach music at this wedding, yeah. And he's thinking. What are you talking about? Like reggae, like uh, exactly, Jimmy, Jimmy exactly. Buffett, and like what? Are you talking about Beach Boys? Because when you right, say that's Beach exactly. music, that's what you're thinking Dick Dale and the Beach Boys and stuff like that. Right, right. It's completely different on the East Coast. He it, said he's been. It's t- basically yeah. R and B, is what it is. Okay, you know, uh, Chairman of the Board, the Embers. They're probably the two biggest ones, but there's so many more bands. Yeah, that are like literally. There's a Triangle Beach Music Festival in Raleigh every year. 30,000 people. Yeah, Lee told me. It's insane. But, you know, I got into that world. And mind you, it's really big with sororities and fraternities in the in the SEC and in the okay. ACC in that area okay. of football, big football schools, to where we would, one night we would play a sorority party. Yeah. And now, mind you, I was the youngest guy in the band by 15 years, <laughs> easily. <laughs> You know, right. and it was suits, matching outfits every night, full horn section. It was a nine or ten piece band. Wow! I mean, it was fun. It was basically like playing with the Temptations, to be honest with you. Awesome. And uh, we did a lot of Craig's original stuff, and we did a lot of covers. Um, but it's funny because in that world, everything is one twelve to one twenty. Because that's the tempos that old white people can dance to, man. You know what I mean? It's like everything is that tempo. What you kind literally of have to know beats. What kind of covers? Oh, man. We would do Journey. Okay. Uh, believe it or not, which I was like, am I ever going to be able to get away from this? <laughs> um, <laughs> but we would do Journey. We did, um, we would do some, we would literally mold the set list to whatever the clients wanted. Okay, so we didn't do a lot of clubs. It was mostly corporate stuff and weddings. Mm-hmm. We did do some clubs, and that's when it was basically straight up beach music. Okay, um, but we would do Stevie Wonder, yeah. Tower of Power, oh, cool. um, um, Funky Meters, oh. James Brown stuff. You know, because yeah. we had that horn section. All those horn players in that band were great players. Um, so we could literally cover basically anything. I had three days. They called me. They emailed me a bore tape mm-hmm. of their show. I literally locked myself in my rehearsal area in Myrtle Beach mm-hmm. for 14 hours a day mm-hmm. for three days. I only left to go use the bathroom and to eat, seriously, mm-hmm. to learn Craig's show. Because I was like, this is the chance I've got to get on a big gig, and I don't want to screw this up. They called me. They said, here, you've literally got to fly up to Nashville next week and go out on the road with us. 
okay. not as playing because Mike was still playing drums at the time. Yeah. They said, learn the show. Yeah. Um, they honestly told me, they said, just learn the first half of the show. Yeah. Um, and then come out with us on the road and you can watch Mike play the show. You sit in with us at Soundcheck and run a couple songs. Craig won't be there. The band's going to make the decision. So me being OCD as I am, I mm -hmm. learned the whole show just in case. The solo sections, everything. When I flew up to Nashville, Travis come and picked me up from the airport. I stayed with him that weekend. We, that night we had bus call, and I went out and met you know, on the bus with him, went to the show with him. They had a bunk for me. Um, they set up everything that next day at the show in Illinois. I remember it. I was just nervous, dude. You have no idea. I was like, I have not had enough time to prepare. Um, and then they set up everything. They did a quick sound check of their stuff. And then Mike was like, hey, man, come up and play some songs with the band. Mm -hmm. There was no vocals. And I was trying to sing. Oh, stuff I know. Yeah. But I had charts, man, because I, I literally charted everything out. Because there's no way I could have memorized that mm -hmm. much of stuff that quick. And uh, how much was it? I mean, how many? It was almost 20 songs. Okay. But the show. You know, the show with Craig is not as simple as most shows. You never know what he's going to do. Okay. Uh, at the time, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So I got up there at Soundcheck and played um, one song. And all of a sudden, Craig comes up out of nowhere, goes to the monitor world, give me my ears, puts his stuff in, wants to sing. Yeah. I'm like crap he was not supposed to be here so that just made it twice as bad you know yeah. i was like oh really now i gotta <laughs> shit the bed in front of him too right <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so they craig started rattling off songs and thankfully i learned the whole show because i don't know if he was doing it to screw with me or not but he was calling off songs that i wasn't supposed to know but i knew them anyway yeah yeah and it's not like i played them great but i knew them and right. i got you know the clicks and everything and Got through it somehow. Um, so I played my stuff, got done. Nobody really said anything. I didn't know. I, I, I knew I was nervous. I knew I didn't kill the audition, put it that way. Um, but I knew the parts. Yeah. And um, so nothing was really said. You know, Craig came up to me about a couple hours later, shook my hand, said, thanks for coming out. So, you know, the first thing that pops in my head is like, I didn't get this shit at all. Right, right, <laughs> all right, back to beach music. Here I come. Yeah. Which I had a buddy of mine filling in for me with that band while I was doing the Okay, audition. you covered yourself. Yeah, I covered myself back home. Right. Um, uh, another great drummer here that lives in Nashville, Adam Barber. Uh, he lives in town. He's he's mostly doing, I think, Lower Broadway. So I haven't talked to Adam in a while, but he's he his name up, sounds familiar. Yeah, he moved yeah. up to Lower Broadway. I think he's he plays with the house band at Tootsie's for the celebration thing they do every year. Okay, and yeah, he yeah, does yeah. a lot of stuff on Broadway. And I know he's toured with some other acts too, but I I really don't know. I haven't I don't haven't talked to him in quite a while. Okay, great player, MI guy. Um, so Adam was covering for me with uh with Craig Woolard while okay. I was doing the audition for Craig Morgan. And literally, I went back, stayed with Travis that weekend, had a good time. The Monday morning, I flew back to Myrtle Beach. Um, didn't think nothing about it. I was like, I didn't get it, whatever. I still got a gig. Mm -hmm. Went back to my normal life of beach music. But took a chance. But <laughs> took, took I took a, a yeah. chance, you know? Sure. I mean, why not, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, got, I had nothing to lose. I had a guy covering my gig. Wooler was cool with it, you know? Mm -hmm. I said, hey, man, that's a good opportunity. You know, I said when I when I told you I would play with you, I said he said give me a year. 
Yeah. And don't walk out on me in, until it's been a year. And it was almost a year to the date that they called me to audition for Craig Morgan. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so I wasn't really, you know, I had fulfilled my contract with him. And and he was cool about it. Still cool to this day. I still talk to him all the time. Um, so I flew back, went back out on the road with, with Craig Woolard. Didn't think nothing about it. I didn't hear anything. So I was like, I didn't get it. You know, I mean, there's a million guys in Nashville could have got this gig that were already here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so two weeks later, I don't forgot what night of the week it was. Me and some buddies of mine were out at a bar called Stool Pigeons in Myrtle Beach. This literally, we were the bar was about to shut down. It was like two in the morning. I'm hammer drunk, <laughs> and uh, my cell phone rings and it's from a blocked number. So I didn't think nothing about it. You know, who knows? God knows my past in Myrtle Beach. That could have been any amount of anybody calling me in the middle of the night with a blocked number. And uh, so I didn't think nothing about it, and I just hit deny yeah. and went back to drinking yeah. and talking to my buddies at the bar, and it rang again like five minutes later from a block number again i denied it again so then travis calls me he goes hey man that's craig calling you answer the phone <laughs> so i answered the phone and i said hello he goes is this russ and you got to know craig in craig's voice i said yes russ who's this craig morgan hey craig you got the gig son i'll see you in two weeks click that's, that's it. all that was said so I literally had about two weeks to get my whole life, you know, from Myrtle to Nashville. I was a marching guy. I didn't care two shits about a drum set. Yeah. I was a marching guy, and that's all I wanted to do for years. Yeah. I didn't really start playing drum set till around 99, 2000. That's it. Really? Yeah. I was completely rudimental guy. That's all I did. Marching. Now, mind you, I did play when I was younger. My dad was a drummer as well. Okay, and he played yeah. in bar bands and stuff when I was a kid and played in church and stuff like that. I know it's kind of funny, bar band, church, whatever. But that's where I started as well, yeah. was playing in my granddad's church because yeah. um, they had a full band in his church. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was just, my dad had drums around the house. I'd go bang on them. <clears throat> he would teach me how to play basic 4 4, you know, rock grooves or whatever. And I could play them back to him. So I guess it was just in the blood, you know. Right. I had a rhythm, but it sounds if like you want that, to call it that. Whatever. Well, drum set was your dad's thing, and it so was. And so well, like, and that course. was my thing when I first started. But it's not like I was like did that the whole time. I did it for a few years. Once I got into school and started taking band, I wanted to learn how to read. I got infatuated with it. I wanted to learn it all. But when you get into beginning band, you're not playing kit. No, you're right. playing snare drum. Right. And I was already way more developed as a drummer than anybody else in beginning band was because I've already been playing for a few years hmm. and sitting in with a few songs in my granddad's church with their band or whatever it may be. But, you know, not to say I was like light years ahead of them because I wasn't, but I, I understood drums. Mm -hmm. I knew I knew the difference between a crash cymbal and a snare drum, put it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, some of these kids starting off again in band, they had no idea how to even set their snare drum in the stand. Mm -hmm. You know, those cheap, you know, those right, cheap oh, yeah, rental yeah. snare drums you get when you're in beginning band. But, you know, the band director took a liking to me because I had some kind of a background in it. Yeah. And he pushed me and pushed me. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a big drum and bugle corps guy, so, which is where he's the main reason. Okay. Okay. Uh, Mitchell Lewis was my first band director, and he's actually um, a superintendent of the whole school district that I grew up in now. 
Uh, but he was the band my my first band director was Mitchell Lewis, and I can thank that man for everything that I've done in my whole entire life, drumming wise, because he exposed me to stuff at a super early age hmm. that nobody else was getting exposed to. Okay. In fifth grade, he handed me a copy of Moving Pictures <laughs> by Rush. That changed my life, man. Yeah. You know, like probably every drummer you've interviewed on here. Right, right. I mean, Rush is where it started for everybody. Yeah. I mean, that I know anyway. At some point, if they say it didn't, they're full of shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> Rush has had an, some kind of, and Neil Peart has had a, some kind of influence on every drummer that I know. <laughs> right. Whether it be good or bad, there's some kind of influence right, there. Right, right, You know? Right. And uh, so he handed me that, and I was just like, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Because at that point... All I heard was Lars Ulrich and Charlie Benante. You know, that was literally, and Dave Lombardo. I was into the whole thrash scene at the time. Mm-hmm. And he turned, turned my head to Rush yeah. and, and, and Dave Weckl and guys mm-hmm. like that. You yeah, know? right, right. And, um, you know, it's, I'm telling you the same story probably every drummer that you've interviewed has. I get it. But he really, he turned me to that direction. I was like, this is really cool. But what really flipped the switch for me was when I was in the eighth grade, Ninth grade, so I was my freshman year of high school. He took me to a drum and bugle course show mm-hmm. across town at a rival high school that had, they hosted one, a big one every year. Mm-hmm. And like Cadets of Bergen County, Carolina Crown, Star of Indiana, like all the big boys were there. Yeah. Um, How old were you at the time? I was 15. Okay. 14 or 15, yeah. somewhere in there. Sure. And, and I was already in the marching band in high school. I made the high school snare line when I was in the eighth grade. Mm so I was already exposed to that marching world, mm-hmm. and but I had seen videos of the drum corps stuff. He was giving me old VHS tapes to take home to check out these old school, like you know, mid to late eighties badass drum lines, Vanguard, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you know, Madison Scouts were like the were the defending champions from eighty eight, and, and that's funny because Keith Dudek was in that snare line. Okay, and you know. I didn't know him then, you know, I yeah. know him now, Yeah. but like, and then even Kevin Murphy, 90 Madison scouts. There's a lot of drum corps guys that are playing big gigs in this town. Now. Right, right, right. And so th- when I saw those VHS tapes of those old drum and bugle corps, that was like, I've got to do that. Mm-hmm. That's all that I wanted to do. Mm. When I saw them line up and start ramming notes and flipping sticks, I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. You know, yeah. you're young. You're like, cause at the time I was in a high school drum line and we were okay. But it was like, it wasn't at that level by any means, you know, and I was just like, I got to do this. Yeah. And then he took me to a show and I saw it in person. He oh, yeah, went out a lot, saw the warm up arcs, took me in, saw, took me to the show. And it was just, I was completely blown away by it. Hmm. And I said at that point, I'm going to make one of these drum lines. Mm-hmm. And the next year I went and auditioned for Carolina Crown mm-hmm. at 16 years old. Yeah. And I made the drum line. Okay. The baseline, my first year at Carolina Crown. Okay. And uh, dude, that was just from there on. Um, it was just marching for me. I could have cared less about a drum set. I didn't even touch a drum set again till I was probably twenty four, twenty five years old. Wow. After man. I had already done my drum corps stuff, aged out, couldn't do it no more. <laughs> then I went to senior corps and did yeah. that for two years. Yeah. With a core called Carolina Gold out of Raleigh, North Carolina, yeah. who Chris Williams also marched with. Okay. After I left, he was in that same drum line. There's a lot of ties, mm-hmm. uh, drum lines wise, because it's almost like a fraternity. 
Sure. Once you've done that level of marching percussion, you can go up to a guy that's done it, and you're ins- dude. I didn't even know guys like Tom Hurst, Kevin Murphy, Dudek, Chris Williams. You know all these marching guys that were in this town. It's like the first time I met Kevin and Tom. It's this instant camaraderie. Yeah, it is. It's instant. Oh, you marched these years? Cool. I marched these years. You know this lick? Yeah, man, that's cool. Check this lick out. Yeah, it's instant, and it's always going to be like that for me. You know, with anybody that's just drum corps wise. You know, it's interesting that you know drummer. The community of drummers is uh, a strong community across the country. Yeah. And uh, my theory was always, uh, well, drummers never have to work together because there's only, uh, there's mostly one drummer in a band. <laughs> Most of the time. Right. But you're talking about something completely different. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where it's, it's nothing but drummers that are doing this. Now, I never did drum corps, so I, I'm really fascinated with that brotherhood that is created, um, that the type of player you become. Yeah. And so many of the great players that come out of that experience like Tom and Kevin, yeah, uh, and you, dude, man, you sounded great the uh, few Thank times you. I've heard you play. Um, I'm good enough to fake it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it so one of the things I was thinking I wanted to ask you is those of us that didn't have that experience, yeah, but kind of kind of want to get a little bit of advice on what can we do to kind of. Um, keep our hands going the way you guys always have. Man, you know, I, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's, do you? Is there? I stay on my pad, man. It's nothing that I'll ever quit doing. Yeah, every day I hit my pad because mm-hmm. honestly, because right now I'm I'm working with Zach Stewart over at McGavick High School, mm-hmm. teaching the drumline there. I've been there for a few years. Zach's been there longer than me. It's his program. I'm just helping him out when I'm home. Uh, but he's another great marching guy, mm-hmm. um, great drum set player. Plays with Josh Thompson right now. Um, but, you know, when I moved to town, I I was kind of burned out on the drumline thing, and I didn't really want to do it anymore. And then I ended up meeting a guy that offered me a teaching spot at Brentwood High School. I did that mm-hmm. for one year. I was like, okay, that's enough. I'm done. Didn't think I'd do it ever again. I was mm-hmm. kind of burned out on it, to be honest with you. And stuff was do- go- going well with Craig. Yeah. So I'm like, well, let me concentrate on my kit playing for a while because it sucks ass. I got to get better at it, you know. I gotta get, I gotta get, I gotta get in the pocket, man. You know, because I had all the facilities hand wise that you could ever want, right? But you know, putting it onto a drum set and making it feel good and stuff like that, I learned everything back asswards, dude. I learned all the chops and didn't learn the groove. Mm. Now to this day, I'm still learning how to lay it right in the pocket, you know, mm. because it's a completely different world. Now the drum corps got me to where I can play anything that I hear. I think that's what I'm trying. Wise, that's yeah. what I'm getting at is yeah. is that there's those of us. Now, granted, I did grow up on Rush too as yeah. well, but I didn't come from the chops end of things. Yeah. So for me, it was I was always resigned to okay, what can I do? within my facility and concentrate on groove. And then I get called for that. I get called, you know, and I want to, and I want to pursue that and and be influenced by that. But there's times I wish I had more facility, you know, and I like to spend time on the pad. So I hear guys throwing out all these terms, uh, as far as, Oh God, uh, drum corps has its own language, dude. It does. Drumline guys have, we have a complete, if you didn't know what we were talking about and you walked into a conversation, you would think we were literally lost our minds. So I can walk to Forks and go get a book on Afro-Cuban or whatever, but that has its own language as well. Right. So uh, 
I want to get my hands together. Where can I go to find this stuff? Or is it is it strictly private lessons or uh, trying? That's to going to help you being around other drumline guys. And what I was leading up to when you asked me that really is I hit the pad every day still to keep my hands up because. I've got to teach these kids, and these kids, their hands these days are just dumb. They're mm-hmm. playing at a level now that I have to keep my hands in shape to stay above them. Why is that? Because it's the YouTube generation, man. Uh, these kids now, when when me and Murphy and Tom and these guys that, you know, it's Zach and, and Dudek and, all, and Williams and all these guys that are like, we all came up in that same era to where back then, if a piece of music was passed around like a warm-up book from a drum corps, dude, it might as well have been the Holy Bible put in your hand. Because it was we didn't have the World Wide Web back then. where they, These kids now have access to everything. Right, right. Which is awesome. Now, yeah. I couldn't even imagine where, where I would be if I had that coming up. Because I busted my ass on the pad at home every day working on stuff that I just would like watch videos and try to figure out what they were doing. That yeah. were like, but they never, you know, those VHS tapes never zoomed in on the drum lines. You know, you were right, you were right. trying to having to listen. Well, this is what I think they're doing right here. But now these kids have access to everything. I got kids at McGavick that can play most of Blue Devils or Carolina Crown or Blue Coats World Championship book from this past summer already. Wow. They have access to it because everything's on YouTube now. Yeah, you don't yeah. need private lessons anymore yeah yeah you know i don't know how guys even make a living doing it anymore because everything is so accessible online right you know um is there anything you that you have to find that you find yourself you have to undo like maybe they've learned it the wrong way because they just well, yeah there there is technique stuff you know let's let's mind you they are still 15 to 17 year old kids mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know just because they can figure out a lick and hack it out don't mean that they're playing it with good quality of sound Good heights, good technique, you know, diddles consistent, yeah. whatever, flam spacing consistent. All that can be taught by guys that's been doing it forever. Yeah. And these kids are smart enough to figure it out on their own. You really, mm. you know, in better programs like McGavick around town, and there's other great programs in this town as well, but, you know, I'm referencing them because that's where I teach at, is these kids now, I mean, they're great players, you know. Yeah, yeah. Rudimentally, it's funny because – Guys come to me on that are on big gigs that don't have this background, like what you're asking me now. Hey, man, can you work with me? Can you show me some stuff to build my hands up? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm going to charge my buddies to show them how to play eight on a hand. Come on, man. You know, it's it's all about breaking it back down to the basics. It's, it's rudiments. Yeah. Guys will learn how to play the, the coolest Nirvana song or, or you know, God, I don't even can't believe I just referenced Nirvana. But, you know, <laughs> whatever the newest, the, these kids want to learn the coolest thing that's, you know, and these guys like Cooper Drummer on YouTube and stuff like that. They're playing covers of other people's crap. Yeah. And the kids are learning how to play all these gospel chop licks and kits and stuff, mm-hmm. but they're not learning rudiments. Mm-hmm. You know, the drum court, the drum line kids are because that's all they care about. Yeah. But the most of the guys overlook that because they want to go straight to kit. Yeah, that's like being able to play leads on a guitar and not know how to play chords. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Sure. You gotta know your rudiments, right? And if you can work those rudiments, it's gonna make everything easier, right? You get into a drum fill on a kit, and okay, well, my left hand has to be here. Then I know that I'm gonna need to do a paradiddle on that floor tom to get my left hand back open. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. all rudiments, and of course, that's the simplest way to put it. Sure. But that makes everything easier. Yeah. You yeah. know. 
and I still work that stuff. You know, it's 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 for me, it's well beyond five strokes and seven stroke rolls at this point. Yeah. But I work stuff like cheese to chuddas and book reports, flam drags that I have like <laughs> you know. Yeah. And just compound hybrid rudiments because the activity's pushing. So it no, seriously. So so those compound rudiments I've never done before. Yeah. And I would I would totally love to get into that. Yeah. So if anybody else is like, where would I go to find that? Um, where would I go to discover that and learn how to do it? Discover it, watching. I'm gonna tell you just what you watch okay. YouTube videos, man. Okay. There is, I promise you, there's somebody on YouTube that will break down every rudiment you can think of. Gotcha. You know, and, it, gotcha. and it, if you personally want any help from me or any, of course, I'd be glad to show you that stuff yeah. and write it out for you. I've, I've showed it to a lot of guys. You know, yeah. Walking like Ben Caesar, you walk into his house. He's got a dry erase board. Hey man, what was that you were playing? And Ben's right, voice, exactly. you know, it's like I'll chart it out for you. As I write it out on the on the chalkboard, he goes, "Oh, okay, I see it now." You know, yeah, right. And right. guys like Ben, they have the facility to play this stuff. They just never been exposed to it. But what are you doing though to work on groove? Me, honestly, I almost. At this point, playing with Craig, because I played the song so many times, every night that I walk on stage, I try to find something else in the show that I can work on. Mm. Um, whether it be where I'm laying the snare, mm. where I'm laying the kick drum, mm-hmm. you know, in my head, and trying to bury that click to where I can't hear it. But sometimes being so dead on top of that click, when I listen back to board tapes, even though I know I was dead on that night, I didn't play one note off that click. Yeah. I go back and listen to it, and it didn't feel right. Right. You know what right. I mean? It right. didn't. To me, it didn't. So, so you're listening. You're recording, and you're listening. Oh yeah, yourself. I listen back as much as I can. Yeah. You know, um, and then and then finding like cameras, cell phone crap of people on YouTube that recorded our shows. Every now and then, I'll dig around on YouTube just to listen to the band, mm-hmm. um, hear mm-hmm. how what we sound like out front. You know, mm-hmm. just to see. Okay, am I really laying this in like I feel I am? Yeah. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. It's a own, dude. It's ongoing. It's never going to be right for me. Oh, I believe it. You know, I it, mean, not. I'm not talking about you. For anybody, <laughs> I mean, the, it, the royal drummers. You. Period. Right. Exactly. We're a bunch of OCD. Yeah. You know, constantly searching for the. You know, it's like a guitar player in this freaking pedal board. You know. Well, that's why I'm asking tone, you about finding that groove. Man. That's why I'm asking you about the rudiments, man. I I, I never want to stop learning. Yeah. And it's absolutely. like even though when that when those opportunities came my way when I was younger, I was like, no, I really want to stay on drum set. I don't want to do that. And there weren't quite the opportunities where I was for drum corps. Uh, yeah. Well, I take that back. It, it just it didn't ring my bell yeah. the way it well, did a lot of for you. It doesn't. Yeah. But when I see players like you and other players that grew up in that world. Work them work around the drum set. I'm like, oh, I want to hit the drums that hard yeah. when I need to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that that clarity that comes out of the rudimental facility yeah. that you guys have. Yeah, it's how do I get there? Precision thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. How it, do I get there? You do it so much that when you sit down on a kid, it just becomes second nature. Yeah, you know the the the, the precision of the rudimental stuff anyway. But what about the feet, man? Feet. As far as the drumline world goes, you could be, you know, your feet are everything in a drumline. That's your tempo, mm. your feet moving together in that snare line, making yeah. sure that foot's planting right on that downbeat together as you're moving across that field. Yeah. So the feet were always there. Now, of course, it's left foot lead, left, right, left, right, most of the show, unless you're playing in seven, eight, and you start skip stepping and stuff like that. But 
when you get onto the kit, honestly, when I started playing kit and got serious with it, of course I was a metal guy. So growing up, the double bass was everything to me, you know. Okay. And which I don't use at all anymore. Oh, really? Except okay. the very ending of the show when I play a completely out of place blast beat at the end of a country music show. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> I grew up in Columbia where I was grew up when I was younger before I moved to the beach. Man, I was around guys like Derek Roddy. I mean, he's from my hometown. The father of the blast beat. The guy's the fastest guy on earth, you know? And I would go out and sneak into bars just to watch this guy play. And I'm like, that dude's feet are just retarded, man. It's like he was so fast and effortlessly fast. that I was like, I, I got into that to where I was working. What I would do is go home and sit on a double pedal on a practice pad yeah. and play rudiments with my feet. Yeah, okay. You know? Like, you know, pretty much everybody's going to do that same thing to where I was like playing paradiddles, paradiddles. And it's Mm -hmm. not like I have great feet fast, you know, I don't use it anymore. Mm -hmm. But, you know, feet, I work just like I work my hands, you know. So I had the facility with my feet by themselves. I had the facility with my hands by themselves. Getting on the kit and putting that all together and making it sound like a drum set player and not a drum line guy that's trying to play drum set. Because I know a lot of those guys uh, that, it's funny because you get and you could talk to any of the guys that I've mentioned in the drumline world. You would not believe, even in the best drumlines in the world right now, there may be one or two guys in that whole percussion section that can even play a kit. Mm. It's a it's a different world. But uh, that was my mindset when I was a kid, though. I was like, no, no, I'm not into that. I'm yeah, concentrating yeah. on drum set. I don't even want to get. They, they don't want to do both. They pick one. I don't want to get distracted by yeah. something that's not drum set. Yeah. And exactly. now I look back in hindsight and I see guys like you play, and I'm going, oh crap, that would have been good for me. <laughs> or, or been completely counterproductive. <laughs> well, that's true. I guess it depends on who you are. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. When I signed up, went to the recruiter, <laughs> signed my life away, I told him, he goes, what do you think you would want to do in the Navy? And, of course, everybody's like, I want to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> you know, I want to be a badass sniper on a mountain range somewhere. But uh, <laughs> one out of every 10,000 guys get through that training. Right. I'll go into that crap later. But I was like, man, I can, I can do some drumming. That'd be cool. Get paid to be in the military and bang on some drums, you know. So I told him I was interested in trying to get into the Navy band. And so he picked me up one day from Columbia, South Carolina. I met him at the recruiter's office, and we drove down to Naval Air Station, Jacksonville, Florida. Wow. And they knew I was coming, and they had an audition process set up for me. So I walked into the room. I had basically, it was was a four-hour audition. It was brutal. Wow. And at the time, I was 19 years old, man. I was in way over my head. But I went in there. They wanted me to do all my rudiments, open, closed, open. That means starting the slowest, speeding them up, slowing okay. them back down, keeping it smooth, all the way to the fastest you can play them back open. You know, this was typical, easy process for me. It's the same thing, basically, as an all-state audition in high school. Mm-hmm. So I play through all my rudiments, open, closed, open. Um, I play a prepared sn- snare solo, mm-hmm. which I don't even remember what. I think it was, God, what was the name? Tornado or something like that. Mm-hmm. One of the hardest. Back then, it was anyway. That was kind of like the grade six snare solo that everybody played mm-hmm. to prove how alpha male they were back then, you know. So I played Tornado through. And mind you, I'd already had a year of drum corps under my belt. Two years, actually, okay. before this happened. Okay. So my hands were, were on point at that time. So I played through all that stuff, and they were just like, holy crap, where did you come from? Because a lot of drum corps guys are not going to go into the Navy band. Mm. They're drum set players. Right. Um, 
so I did all that, sight read a snare solo, hmm. you know, then they moved me to mallets, I had to play all my scales, um, on the marimba in every mode, <laughs> had to play a prepared marimba piece, had to sight read marimba. Um, and then I moved to timpani and then I moved to drum set where I played, they asked me to play in different styles, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then, then they brought the, um, uh, their uh, top forty ensemble in, and I played with their band. Oh this wow! Was all in the audition. It was four hours. Wow! My brain was rotten getting prepared for this. I yeah. Basically, put myself through my own boot camp, getting ready for the audition because I knew I wanted to get in. All said and done, at the end of the day, the guys. I came out of the room at the end. I waited around for about thirty minutes. The guys came out. It was a chief and a first class petty officer, and they said, "Man, your scores were great." I, we think we can get you into Little Creek MUA school. Now, mind you, most of the guys that go into the military bands have degrees. So I was in way over my head. I had no completed degree. I was 19 years old. I think they were going to try to push me in because of my hands. Okay. They wanted more of a marching guy than they wanted a drum set player. And he told me that. He goes, dude, your, your rudimental skills are just better than anybody we've got right now already mm-hmm. at 19. He right. said, but your drum set skills, we can teach you that. Yeah. You know, because we have drum set players. We need guys to do parades and whatever dignitary crap they needed me to do. I was like, awesome. I can get into MUA school. And he said, it's going to be six months of some pretty intense. Oh, MUA, what's that? Musician is MU in the milita- in the Navy. Okay. That's your your uh, your job, MU, musician. Um, a school is like the six-month school at Little Creek, Virginia. They basically send you to to basically refresh you on theory and and explain to you how they want to, you to act and play, and carry yourself in the Navy band. Like boot camp, for... basically boot camp for musicians. Okay. Now Billy Cobham went through that school, believe it or not. Oh really? Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know <laughs> that. Billy Cobham went through MUA school at Little Creek. Um, so I was like, oh, awesome! This is great. I'm gonna get into the Navy band. This is what I want to do. Now here's where they got me. Yeah. They sent me to boot camp. I was in boot camp for three months, graduated, got out. And I was in boot camp for three months because the government shut down while I was in boot camp, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, Bill Clinton. <laughs> Added an extra almost month to my boot camp. <laughs> so I get out. Detailer calls me. It's a guy that basically takes care of your where you're going, your orders and all that crap mm-hmm. when you're in mm-hmm. the military. Detailer calls me. He's like, I got good news and bad news. He goes, the bad, no, the bad news is you passed the audition there's no drum spots available right now. Oy. So you can't, you got to pick something else until something comes open. I was yeah. like, well, how long do you think that could be? He said it could be six months. It could be six years. Oy. So I'm like, okay, I'm already graduated boot camp. Thought I was going into the Navy band. Wasn't. And then what, mind you, while I was in boot camp, they stuck me in a 900 division, which is, I got to play drums the whole time I was in boot camp. For all the graduates that were coming. Oh, and right. Okay. Before us, we would play and then uh-huh. play our own graduation. Then the next band came up. Yeah. And so what they would do is go and handpick guys they knew were musicians, singers, or drill team guys. And they put you in 900 divisions. They were called triple threat divisions. Mm. They were all musicians, singers, and drill team guys, like rifles and all that stuff. Okay. So I drummed the whole time I was in boot camp. The... The guy that was in charge of the drum corps in boot camp was a very high-ranking Navy band guy that had been in for 20-something years. 
Um, and he knew that I'd already passed the audition. So he really come and got me and pulled me into that division because I was in a regular division. Hmm. My first night, the second morning I woke up and that guy was screaming my name, come with me, you're in a different division now. Uh, I didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah. Because I went in on a buddy system with a guy I went to high school with, and we were bunk mates. We were mm-hmm. settled in. We were mm-hmm. going to get through boot camp together. Mm-hmm. And then he come snagged me and took me to a different division. Wow. And we were separated. Okay. Um, so couldn't get into the, the, the uh, Navy band. So he was like, dude, you, your ASVAB score was almost as maxed out when you took the score to test to come in. Yeah. And I made a 99 on the ASVAB Jeez. to get into the military. Yeah. And uh, not that I'm smart. I'm just really good at taking tests. I can figure out what ain't right. You know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a dumb redneck, but I can I can kill a Scantron. But anyway, so I took the ASFAB, had a high score on it. I don't know to this day whether they did that on purpose or not to get me in so they could tell me that there wasn't a spot in the Navy band so they could push me in the direction they wanted to push me in anyway, which was into the nuke program, which is where I ended up. I was a nuclear electronics technician. The hardest school in all four branches of the military. Jeez. Yeah, I went into the nuke field because my scores were high enough to get in. I took the nuke test, passed it. So I went into the nuclear program. And at the time, I was young and stupid, and they were flashing a lot of money in front of my eyes. They said, if you'll go into the nuclear program, we will give you $30,000 up front, directed into your, deposited into your account. Mm-hmm. After taxes, you'll see 20 of it. You know, and I'm I'm like 19 years old. Yeah, yeah. And I've got 20 grand being thrown at me, and they'll give me more if I can graduate the school, because yeah. literally the dropout rate for the school is 10 out of every hundred can get through the school. Oh wow, it's super intense. It's basically like a six year electronical engineering degree crammed into your head in two years. Oy. So it's like hardcore. Yeah. And a lot of guys won't go into that program because of how intense yeah. it is. And I was like, eh, I think I can do it. Because I was just... Did you go through the whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> Graduated top of my class. Wow. Yeah. So then Were I you playing set, drums during that time? I was, I was playing on my own. Okay. And I was, they, were, they would let me take lessons to keep my hands up. Mm-hmm. They were le- letting me take lessons with the drummer that was stationed at the Navy band on that base. Okay. So I would go see him once a week. And and at that time, he, was working, he wasn't working rudimental stuff with me because I could run circles around him. But he was working drum set stuff with me. Okay. So he was, he was digging deep with me and learning a lot of Latin stuff. Yeah. Stuff that I had never been exposed to before. Uh-huh. Sambas, uh-huh. you know, bossa novas, mm-hmm. you know, merengue, uh, patita alto. I mean, I, he was digging deep in these linear rhythms and stuff, right. like teaching me how to play this crap. Which later on in life actually helped me out because at the time I was like, this is cool. I can yeah. play all these different rhythms, right, each right. arm and leg at the same time. I'm, I'm a Billy Badass. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't. But it was fun learning that stuff with him. And I was doing that once a week while I was in uh, electronic school. Okay. So I graduated electronic school. The guy called me. Um, a detailer said, basically, a spot came open. You've already graduated nuke school. Wow. There's nothing I can do for you. They spent all that money training you. That's what you're going to be doing for the next four years before I can send you to MUA school. And I was like, shit. Hmm. You know, so it was good and bad. I'm glad I got that training. Yeah. I use absolutely none of it to this day, except I can solder like a son bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know?
Are you doing what you want to do right now? I think I am. I, lo- I love, I never thought I would end up in country music. Yeah. Um, but I love the man that I work for. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's a very good friend of mine. He's a great dude. Um, me and Craig have so much in common, him being ex-military as well. Um, and he served a lot longer than I did and went through a lot more stuff than I did in the military. But it's that common thread, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. if, if he calls me tomorrow and says I'm done touring, Mm-hmm. Unless something really, really good fell in my lap, mm-hmm. I'm probably done. To mm-hmm. be honest with you, interesting. I, I don't let it. I don't let the drums define me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I always loved it, but it's not my only thing that I love doing in this world. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'd be just as happy living on a mountainside in Montana, <laughs> building guns, yeah. because that's my other love is gunsmithing. Okay. And, and and competing and shooting and stuff like that. That's that's a whole different side of me that a lot of my close friends know that about me. Yeah. I don't talk about it a lot because in the world we live in now, if you mention guns, you're gonna get two different reactions. One of two. Mm. One, that's cool, man. What are you into? What do you mm-hmm. like? I mean, what mm-hmm. kind of disciplines are you working? Or, oh my God, he's a crazy redneck conservative left uh, right wing nut job. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's basically all you're gonna get now. Yeah. There are there are my hardcore liberal buddies. Uh-huh. I don't disagree with anybody on their political beliefs. Who cares? Uh-huh. You know, it doesn't affect me. Right. I'm not even going to get into politics on this podcast at all. But I have friends that accept me for who I am. Sure. And I can get along with them, even sure. though their lifestyles are completely opposite of mine. Yeah. You know, I'm here doing this podcast, and I, I, I canceled a hunt this morning. I should be deer hunting, hanging out of a, a tree in Dixon with a crossbow in my arms right now. That's I love the, I love the outdoors. Yeah. I'm an outdoors, and I'm a hunter. Yeah. I'm conservationist. Yeah. I'm not a big game slayer of animals for the fun of it. Yeah. I harvest all of my own meat. And my meat is, I promise you, is more healthy than anything you will buy in a grocery store. Right, right. Guaranteed. No, this is good, man, because, dude, I, I spent a lot of time in Montana. Yeah. So love I Montana. love the outdoors. I do, too. I'm not a hunter. Yeah. I used to own guns, but I don't anymore. Yeah. So, but what would you say, what's the third reaction that you would want from somebody? It's not an either or. It's it's the reaction that I get from most of my friends that get it. Well, you get they're like from hey, most that's of your cool, man, from most I, of your friends that know who you are yeah, as an individual. Yeah, right. They know me. Right. Guys like you know, I keep bringing up the same names, but like Tom and Kevin, you know, Hearst Murphy, Zach Stewart, the guys that I'm around the most, they know me. Yeah. They know that I'm a crazy redneck. And always has a gun on him. You know, that's just me. Yeah. You know, but they know that I'm not some stupid idiot and I'm very safe. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, gun safety is of utmost importance to me mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. And, and I love building them. I love taking stuff apart and seeing how it works. Sure. I'm just as happy sitting on my bench vice at home, yeah. taking apart yeah. a Sig Sauer yeah. pistol as I am sitting behind a kit. I yeah. love both. Yeah. I have more yeah. to me. I love surfing. I love downhill mountain biking. Oh, me too. You know, yeah. all of that stuff. I oh, have yeah. more. There's more. That's the problem is, is like, I see guys get so frustrated in this town because their lives are engulfed with drumming or mm. whatever it is they're choosing to do, whether it's a guitar player, bass player, singer, keyboards, drums, it doesn't matter. That's all they do. Yeah. And and when they don't succeed at it, they get 
frustrated mm. because they have no other release, no other outlets of things they do. Mm-hmm. I, I think that helps me because if it all ends tomorrow, I'm not going to be bitter like some people we know on social media nonstop whining about their lives. I mm-hmm. will never do that. Because you have all these o- the next thing. You have all these other things yes, going on. Yes. Well, I appreciate that perspective, and uh, I think that that's maybe not something we've covered in all these different episodes. Yeah. And uh, so I appreciate you bringing that up. <laughs> it's good for me to hear. Uh, it's, and I think it's good for a lot of other people to hear. Yeah, I think so. And like you, like you brought up it. So many guys will fall into that trap hole. Yeah. Or trap or hole. <laughs> I made up a new word. It's called trap hole. <laughs> hole thought, trap, trap is hole. Is that a hunting term? I don't yeah. know that, man. <laughs> well, yeah, it could be. <laughs> but yes, people will fall into that. You know, and like, yeah. like you said, a lot of us are guilty of it. I've just, my approach to that was, it worked for me. Said I don't. I don't let any one thing define me. No, that, and that's why I have you on here, man. Is because what has worked for you, you yeah. know. And I don't know you real well. Yeah. But I've seen you play. I've hung out a little bit with you. So it's like, no, I need to talk to Russ. I need to find out what's his deal. And a couple of questions I wanted to finish up with yeah. was, what advice do you have for people that want to get into this? And what is your future look like and you kind of answered both of those just then yeah you know you're really like look i don't know what the future is but i know i've got this and this going on and life is good i don't take any of it too seriously i'm just thankful that i've gotten to do what i've gotten to do yeah traveled the world yeah i've played the stages i always wanted to play Mm -hmm. you know i've i've seen it all done it all whether it was the military or, or 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 music you know, mm-hmm. I've been all over the world. I, I, dude, I got more stamps in my freaking passport book, dude. Mm. You have no idea. Speaking of, guess where I'm spending New Year's Eve this year? In Qatar. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going to Qatar to play a New Year's Eve show with Craig Morgan. Well, come on, man. We do a lot for the military, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Because um, we have this tour starts in two weeks. We're actually going to re- production rehearsals tomorrow. Um, that We're going to do literally a touring late night talk show. It's basically how it's going to be set up. Where our band's the house band. We do 45 minutes of Craig stuff. And then he's going to have couches and a desk out there on stage. And we're going to be interviewing people. We're wow. having everybody from Taya Kyle, Chris Kyle, American Sniper's wife is going to be out with us. Marcus Luttrell, a lone survivor, who are all friends of ours, by the way. Friends of Craig's. And I've gotten to meet them through him. Mm-hmm. A lot of Special Forces guys. Medal of Honor winners. Dakota Meyer. Uh, Clint Romache, uh, who's a really good buddy of mine. Um you know, some politicians, a lot of military guys, and okay. they're going to tell stories wow. of their life. And then, you know, we'll back some of the uh, Mac Powell from Third Days coming out with us. Oh, cool. Which would be really cool. And, and some other um, artists that uh, they have yet to announce. Uh, we okay. kind of know, but it's not really, like, really public knowledge right now. So I'll just stay away from that. And so you guys have done. Don't call my phone and say, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and you guys have done, obviously, some USO stuff. Oh, God, dude. We've, yeah. I've been to Afghanistan six times with Craig. Jesus. In the heat of the shit, son. Wow. And I eat it up. I love it. Wow. And a lot of guys that you've interviewed have. I know Murphy's been over there a few mm-hmm. times as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Tom has as well. Um, but that stuff, because I've been there. Yeah, it, and, and with, same thing with Craig. I look forward to doing that USO stuff for the troops, 
more than anything we do all year. Mm-hmm. Those are my favorite things to do. Yeah. I don't care if I'm going into Chalk Valley or you know some of the hotter areas of Afghanistan. That me when me and Craig, the guys go over, we will go to spots nobody else will go to mm. because we know we're gonna get we're gonna get fired at. I don't mm-hmm. care. Bring it on. The, I'm ready. The fobs. Yeah, it's a Ford operating basis. Yeah. yeah, we've been to some of the fobs, and it's funny to me because I'll bring this up. You know, I don't want to drag this interview out too long, but we last year we went into Afghanistan, and we went to uh, a fob called Fob Shank. <laughs> All right, this is one of the most dangerous bases. They were taking mortars as our helicopter was landing. <laughs> All right, jeez. Um, so this base got hit every day. Anybody stationed on that base yeah. knew they were going to take mortar rounds every morning about the same time. The Taliban is going to start shooting at them. Yeah. They shoot back for a few hours, and it dies down. Hopefully nothing happens. Well, they lost a guy that morning. Wow. Um, and we landed. We did our show. Went home. This was a year and a half ago, I think. And then I get to... McGavick this year when we start cranking up for marching band competition season and one of the marching techs uh, was stationed at Shank and saw me play there with Craig. Oh, wow. And it's crazy to know that he's back home now. Yeah. About to go to Syria. And, you know, he's about to get shipped out again. But he's he went to McGavick High School and marched in the band there and yeah. came back to help, you know, with, yeah. with drill and stuff. Yeah. And he was he was at Shank, you know. He was there for, I think he was on a year deployment. Wow, getting shot at every day, you know. And that's crazy. Here he is back screaming at kids with me, you know. And now yeah. he's about to go back to Syria. But you never know whose path you're gonna cross. And right, I've got friends that I've met on these trips in Afghanistan, Iraq, Kuwait, wherever we're going. Um, that I still talk to to this day. Yeah, you know, military guys. Guys right. I didn't serve with, guys that I met right. while I was over there with Craig. Right, right. You know? And, it's- and you have a military background. Now, I, I had a chance to go there in 2001. Yeah. April of 2001. Yeah. Uh, in in uh, Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. and So you know, April of 2001, you were pre-9-11, and you were but, so... Kuwait but was- and Saudi were... Saudi was cranking back up at that time. Yeah. Kuwait, since the first desert storm, has been, you know... Basically, we have a military base there. You yeah. know, I don't know if you know how Kuwait works, but they don't have a standing army. Right, right. They pay us to keep a military base in Kuwait. Right, right, right. You know, after everything that happened well, in 91 and 92. it was a good experience yeah. for me, not having any Kuwait's military like experience. Now. <laughs> Seriously, it's Starbucks and McDonald's and Hardee's and Cracker Barrel. and yeah. well, not Cracker Barrel, but TGI Fridays, Applebee's, all that stuff's over there. I think they had a they KFC around, there, too. They, yeah. yeah, they have lots of KFCs. Yeah, right. They love their Kentucky Fried Chicken and Kuwait, right, right. let me tell you. But we always stayed at the same hotel over at a Movin Pick on the, on the beach right there in Kuwait. And every time we go there, we always stay at that hotel. But it's so funny because there's a Starbucks in the front. And these Kuwaiti nationals, I don't know if you realize this, they don't have to work. Oh, Once right, they right. turn 18, they get millions every year for being a national. Right, because of the oil revenue. And, yeah, the yeah. oil revenues. And yeah. um, so <laughs> it's funny. They just sit around and they drink Starbucks and drive their Ferraris around all day. They don't have to work. The only people that work in that country are international right. to live in there to work. Sure. If you if you were born and raised in Kuwait, you do not work. Right. It's you're like loaded, in Saudi Arabia, You're loaded too. from birth. I don't know if Saudi Arabia is like that. Okay. It may be. Yeah. 
But yeah, I'm it's glad crazy. you got to go over there and see it. You know? Well, I, w- the thing, what I was going to say was the thing that was was great for me was to meet uh, all the military personnel there, and they had lost some people mm-hmm. uh, in one of the bases we were at, and it just that gave me a, a healthy perspective. Even at that time, we're talking at a pretty peaceful time at that point. Yeah. Still, uh, the SS Cole had just been bombed, so security was was oh, still yeah. tight, but it was still pre nine eleven. Yeah, but that was really good for for me, somebody with no military background or experience, to go see guys my age, guys and girls oh, yeah. my age, and and just like really missing home and us coming there sharing something with them. I felt really honored. And I still have the certificate. I keep it in my practice room. I still have the coins they gave oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> I still have pictures. I love that experience. You know, not being a military guy, I still, it gave me a healthy perspective on that. I really, yeah, and so I'm sure that any, you any have little, all that yeah, stuff Any too. little bit that you can give those guys to take their mind off oh, of it I know. for an hour. No, it's is is worth it it's worth the trip over there you yeah, know yeah. some of these people are like man i wouldn't go over there for nothing you know I've, I've got a few one word for you buddy you know what i mean you you give it back you know don't be a yeah. pussy yeah. you know most of the time it's different for us because craig likes doing dangerous shit so mm-hmm. we're all a bunch of thrill-seeking idiots mm-hmm. that we will probably put ourselves in situations we probably shouldn't but we don't care mm-hmm. um but most of the guys that go over there it's a funny you know, the last time we were over there, I don't know if I should say his name or not, 50 Cent was over there mm. the week before us. Mm-hmm. They took rounds. He wouldn't even get off the helicopter. They flew him right back. Mm. The man that's been shot seven or ten times, how many times he got shot and gangbanged and lived, got over there and mm. pissed himself the first time around went flying by him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I get it. He's gun shot. He's been shot before. Right. But, still. <laughs> but he wouldn't even perform for the troops and left and came back home. Wow, man! It, it yeah. just you know whatever you know everybody's got their own sure sure life path, but you know sure. you go over there. There's always a chance of something happening. There's yeah. a chance of something happening when I leave this interview and drive back to my house. I right know, now. I know. You can't yeah. dwell I on know. that. You know. Well, man, I I appreciate you coming into the hot zone here <laughs> <laughs> in the villages I of Brentwood. I got a mic in front of my mouth. I, I, honestly, I think this might be the second interview I've ever done. Um, so it's like uh, I told my wife I was like I don't know what he's going to ask me I don't even know why anybody want to hear anything I have to say <laughs> but I'll go do it you know <laughs> no man I, I, you, you come from so many different angles as far as what you've experienced and, and uh, what has gotten you to this point and what is giving you the perspective on how you're going to handle things from here on out yeah. and that's exactly what we like to talk about yeah you know we're not Absolutely. talking diddles man yeah or you know, uh, we're there's talking probably pair. plenty of interviewers that you've done where the guys probably sit here and talk about groove and what drum heads and cymbals they use and stuff. I'm sure it's happened. And I, there's a million. Well, I'll steer it the like but I'll steer yeah. it the other way yeah. around. Yeah, for sure. Because because yeah. uh, because what you're it's saying a different kind of animal, which is why I'm doing it. Right. If it was just something about talking gear and what yeah. lick you played on this song live or whatever, I don't. I care nothing about that, man. That's not me. But. But Russ, what you're talking about, man, is stuff that I need to hear. I'm older than you. Yeah. You know, I'm in a different place in my life as well. But the things that you're talking about is good. It's good for me to know, you know, because there's just so much shit right now that's oh, going yeah. on. Yeah, that crazy it's crazy world right now. Right. Yeah. So to keep your perspective on how you're going to, uh, you know, 
continue to play music or continue to just enjoy what you're doing in life yeah. is, is good. Yeah. So, dude, I appreciate taking the time Absolutely. and being here, man. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get enough coffee? Oh, yeah. Look up. I think I'm good. I'll have I'm a South Carolina uh, uh, mug for you. <laughs> hey, thanks for us. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, appreciate man. it, man. Sure. Thanks for taking the time out to uh, listen to my ramblings. <laughs> <laughs> So there was my conversation with Russ. Uh, I think Russ was concerned about his uh, forwardness and style of speaking uh, that might be offensive to some. Uh, I thought it was real. And the one takeaway that I personally felt was important with my interview with him today was this. His ability to recognize his self-worth beyond the drums and not letting his playing define who he is as an individual. And I think that this is a healthy perspective that I personally feel is important to have these days. I've seen Russ play, and I can tell you that it certainly doesn't affect his level of performance. If anything, it might make him better, might make him a better drummer and musician overall. As always, my thanks goes to Mike Jackson for his technical help and musical production advice, as you'll be hearing coming up with some things we're working on. Stay tuned for Zach Albetta's interview with uh, another great drummer. And I appreciate everyone's input and just participating in this podcast. And uh, I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.